Okay, we're going to start talking about the story of Shimshon, holding Perak Yud Gimel, Pasuk Face. But before that, let's give a bit of introduction. There was something unique about Shimshon as a Shafet, and there was something unique about Shimshon's Avodisachem. And uh, that's described to us already by Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu is Baruch HaTashayvetan, so he describes the victory that Shayvetan will have which Chazal tells us talking about Shimshon in an interesting way. And uh, the a description of the victory which will come from Shevetan, uh, Yaakov Bina says, is, he Don, Nachash Derech, Shvifan Erech, Don is going to be like a snake on the road, on the path. Hanoishech Ikveisus, Vayifol Roch Vayochor. He bites the heel of the horse, and as a result of that, the horse rears up and he's going to throw the ride off behind him. So that was a description of the victory that Don would bring about. So we see two different kinds of metaphors being used to describe the, the way that Don would be victorious. The first is, it is referred to as a snake. And you have to explain the significance of why it was called a snake specifically. And the second one is that the way he's going to fight is by attacking the horse which will throw off the rider. They're not necessarily by attacking the rider. Now that was the, that was the, so to speak, which was given in advance to Shevetan about the leader which would come forth from their ranks. And as you know, that leader was Shimshon. Why was this different to the other Shevetan? So as you're going to learn, as you're going to learn, that there's a background to the story of Shimshon. And that is, what was the spiritual level of Shevet done at the time? Because we're going to learn towards the end of Sefer Shevetim. This was the same, this overlapped the period when a large percentage of Shevet done were worshipping of Odizar. They had the, a, a statue, a pestle, which they had consecrated as some kind of Odizar, and they were sacrificing to it. And therefore, as we saw previously, the Anhog of Hashem at this time was that he didn't want to help them. Because he held, if you're going to be, if you're going to be sacrificing to Abu Dazar, you're going to be worshiping Abu Dazar. Then Hashem said, "Let Abu Dazar be the one to help you." And therefore, even though Shimshon was from the Shevet of Don, as opposed to the other Shevetim, Shimshon never brought Shimshon never brought his uh, his Shevet, his tribe, to a communal victory. They weren't deserving of that. And therefore, whatever Shemeshun did, as a, uh, so to speak, to be victorious, he did as an individual. And that's what's unique. Shemeshun, difference to all the other Shaiftim. All the other Shaiftim led an army, and the army, the Shavit, was successful. Whether it was uh, the story of Devera, who brought Naphtali and uh, Menashe, and the time of Gedon, and the time of Yiftach, whether it was Eo ben Geru, who brought uh, the, the people of Rayadin, whatever it was, the Shavit in every other case, was the leader who galvanized the troops and, was, and together they were successful. It was the victory of the Tibur, a victory of the rabbis. Even if it was coming with the, because of the schus of the shaitut who was on top of it, where Shimshon never did that. Shimshon, his entire career, he fought as a yachid. He never involved other people. It was never a communal victory. It was always a victory of a yachid. That's what Shimshon saw as the description to a snake. Because opposed, as opposed to other animals which fight as part of a pack, as part of a pride, when you have a group of lions or whatever other animals it is which are part of a herd, 
the snake is on its own. And the victory of the snake isn't something which it works in tandem with other things. It's an individual, an individual fight. So that was the first point. Shimshon understood that uh, his avoider was to fight as a yachid, and this, is, this needs, a, on the one hand, a tremendous kvura. Because when one fights as part of the tzibur, then one has the schusim of the tzibur. When one's fighting as a yachid, one doesn't have the schusim of the tzibur. If that's the case, Shimshon had to have enough individual merits on his own right to, to achieve what he achieved. Is he was trying to save Klai Israel. He was trying to save Klai Israel, but it's not, nevertheless, it was done in the open that he was acting as a yachid. And the second point to also, that's the fascinating thing we find throughout the career and the story of Shimshon. And that is that even though the, the, the whole way through the story of Shimshon, the Klishnu had the upper hand of Klai Israel. And the Klishnu were in control of large parts of Eretz Yisrael, as we're going to see, throughout the story of Shimshon. And yet, whatever Shimshon did to him, to, did to them, they never took revenge on Klai Israel. Because Shimshon was very careful to make it his campaign against the Klishnu. And the Plishtim chased him, the Plishtim hated him, the Plishtim tried to get Shimshon. But it never became Klai Yisrael against the Plishtim, so the Plishtim never took revenge on Klai Yisrael. And this also needs a certain Gvura. This also needs a certain Gvura, oh. because Shimshon was fighting as a loner, which means he didn't even have the support of Klai Yisrael. Not militarily, but even in any way. They saw him as being a danger, because they saw the Plishtim wanted him, and more than once they wanted to give him to the Plishtim, because they were scared of the Plishtim. And that was the second part of Shimshon's struggle, and that was, it was something he did as a yachid. That was the second part of the Nebuah. And that is, Shemesh understood that the way to attack the Plishtim isn't to fight the main force of the Plishtim army and be victorious in battle. That would be taking on the rider. In the, in the, in the marshal that Yaakov gave, if you're fighting a battle, then you fight against the sword on the other side. Shemesh understood his tafid was to bite the heel of the horse, which is going to throw the rider off backwards, which means by attacking Plishtim here and attacking Plishtim there, for whatever other reason he would find to do that, but would throw the yoke of the Plishtim of Klai Yisrael because they lose their influence. They aren't in a position of power. But it was never a fight between Shimshon and the Plishtim per se. It was always he found groups of Plishtim he wanted to fight with. And then he, by fighting them, he destroyed a certain army, destroyed a certain force. But it was never, it was never throughout the career of Shimshon, a battle between Klai Yisrael and the Plishtim, or even between Shimshon and the Plishtim. Shimshon never took on the rider. And the study of it was to throw off the yoke of the Plishtim by attacking individual groups of Plishtim for whatever reason and pretext he found to do that. Okay, so now that, that's the background to the story. How do you do that? How do you do that? What's, what kaychas what did Shimshon need in order to fulfill that role? So the first one is he had to have his own schus. Like we said before, for a person to be victorious, if he's fighting as a yachid, he has to have his schus. That's the one part of the Shimshon. What schosim did Shimshon have which protected him and gave him the ability to do that? That's the first point. The second point is you're facing a very big Nisayan. You're facing a very big Nisayan. Because if you, in, in any struggle, and this you see in the, the, in the concept of Musa as well, and that is if there's a struggle between good and bad, and I'm deciding that I'm representing what's good, so then that gives me a certain uh, moral superiority over the enemy because on the contrary, I feel that I'm fighting for the right cause, and I consider the enemy to be the, the, the Rishayim, or to be what's bad, and he made it, so it bolsters my confidence in what I'm doing, because I feel that I'm, I'm fighting for what's right. But every other shaykh, if they're fighting to serve Kali Yisrael, they're fighting to get rid of an enemy, and the, the objective is 
this is the enemy of Klai Yisrael, and I'm taking the role of the leader to fight the enemy of Klai Yisrael. I'm coming to save Klai Yisrael. So it gives me a certain uh, moral uh, standard or high ground that I'm going, that I'm standing on. And it makes it easier for me to fight. Shimshon couldn't do that. Because if Shimshon would say, I'm fighting Klai Yisrael's battle, then he's Be'etzim, uh, indicting Klai Yisrael, supporting him, and the Christian would take revenge on Klai Yisrael. And therefore, what Shimshon had to do was to look to fight for reasons within the fleshly world, like we're going to see. And if that's the case, he lost that moral high ground. Because now he's not fighting because I'm right and you're wrong. It's within, the, within what the Christians were doing themselves. He, he involved himself in their culture, in their world, like we're going to see, to, to look for excuses, to fight them as someone from inside their own ranks. And that makes the inside much greater. Because when you're not seeing them as the enemy, and you're trying to fight them because you're right and they're wrong, but rather you're trying to get to infiltrate, so to speak, into their society, into their, their cities and into their culture in order to be able to fight them for some made-up pretext. It's much harder to maintain a moral superiority. It becomes, it starts to look like something which is a personal vendetta or some kind of meaningless argument. But it was ultimately for, it was ultimately ultimately for, for a reason, moral, for but, of course, but it's harder to maintain that. And that's you're going to see a lot of the Nishanis of Shemshan come from. And that is that he had to lower himself, so to speak, to get involved in the Plishti scene, to, to, to look to do what he could do. And not, he didn't have the, the, the advantage of being able to maintain the distance from the Plishti men, like, you know, I'm coming to fight against them. From the outside, he was working within them. Again, that's the nature of a snake. The nature of the snake is that he comes within to wherever he's, uh, the, the house or wherever it is of, the, of where he's coming to attack in order to fight. It's not an enemy so much from the outside as much as someone who infiltrates from the inside. As opposed to, for example, the marshal, which is sometimes used as a lion. A lion doesn't fight by trying to sneak into his enemy's property. He fights because he's strong. And he'll take on the enemy directly, face to face. Okay, so that was the nature, that was the background to, to Shimshon's mission. Now, we're going to see this already from the very beginning, which is why we gave a thumb now already, and that is the story which precedes Shimshon's birth. As you're holding in Perakin Gimel Pasuk place. There was a man from the Tzara, it's one of the cities of Dan, Mishpach Sadani, his name was Manayach. His wife wasn't able to have children and she hadn't had children. And the Mephosh already pointed out why you need the double lotion. If you see that it's understood that she didn't have children. Um, we have something similar by Sari Meinu. A very similar structure in the Pasuk. It says, But he Sarai Akora ain't no blood. But that the Gemara already says that there was Basara says something else. Over there it says Basara that not only didn't she have children, ain't no blood means she didn't have the capacity to have children. She didn't have the physically she wasn't able to have children because the Gemara says that uh, for various reasons she never read and whatever other case the Gemara might explain there, a few options, why it was impossible to have a child. So that's Basara. But here it doesn't say in the verses that she didn't have children. So the understanding is the same thing. And that is, the Nash of Akara is that there was the understanding that she didn't have children, but she wasn't going to have children. Which means, there's a certain stage where a person hasn't been blessed with children, but there's no reason why they shouldn't have children, if they're going to die for children. And when I this Baruch answered the Twitter, uh, of course, one appreciates the chesed, one doesn't see it as a nest. But when one can see it, it is not possible to have children. And then if that's the case, if after a person has a child, 
as together and next. It's together something which wasn't expected and didn't have an explanation why that would have been, and therefore it seemed much more than this, which was the case over here. Now, the so we have Menach and his wife. Vayera Malach Hashem El Isha. Vayera Eleha. He didn't know at Akar, but I like it. Viharis Vilarpen. The Malach of Hashem comes to the lady. And he says to her, you should know that you're in Akara and you haven't had children. And now you're going to Baharis, you're going to become pregnant, you'll give birth to a son. And uh, there are a number of questions to ask. The first question, which we're going to answer very soon, the next passage, is why did the Malach come specifically to the lady? In other words, there's a discussion in the Gemara if Manoyach was a Tariq or not a Tariq. The Gemara's Moskana seems to be if Manoyach was a Tariq, that's what the Midrash says as well. And, that's, and we'll see he, he himself later spoke to the Malach. So why originally did the Malach come to the lady and not to him? That's the first question we have to ask. The second question is, why did the Malach have to tell her that you are Nakara and you haven't had children? She knew that. All the Malach had to say to her is, You're going to have a child. Just like Basara. When, when the Malach came to inform Sarah that you're going to have a child, she didn't have to go into the background and say, By the way, you know you haven't had children so far? Well, guess what? You're going to have a child. She knew about that. All the Malach had to say, was you're going to have a child. And the same thing over here. The, all the Malach had to tell her was the second part. You're going to become pregnant and give birth to a child. Why was it, why was it necessary to go to the past as well? Um, especially when, if you see, the, the, the wife of Anah repeats the Nebuchadnezzar in a few past time, she leaves this part out. In Pasuk Zion, when she repeats what the Malach said to her, he said, she says to him, Vayomeli, he said to me, the Malach said to me, to Mrs. Munayach, the name is still upon but the Malach said to me, You're going to become pregnant, and you'll give birth to a son. He didn't, she didn't bring in the first part of the Malach said, which says, until now you have, you've been in Akara, and you haven't had children. So why was it necessary for the Malach to say that? There's another difference between the two Sikkim also. The, what the Malach tells her is Vaharis which means in the future. You're going to become pregnant and you'll give birth to a son. What uh, the, Mrs. Malach tells her husband is the Malach said to her, you are already pregnant, which makes a very big difference. And you have to ask the question also, why did she change what the Malach, what the Malach told her? Okay, but that was the first point of the Malach tells her. We're going to answer questions soon. Let's just finish with the, ne- the message what the Malach had to say. And he says to her, V'ata hishamrina. And now you have to be careful. V'al tishli yain v'shaykhor. Don't drink wine. Shaykhor is any other um, kind of intoxicating beverage. The Targum explains it as uh, distilled wine, which would be a brandy. But it normally includes anything else which can make a person drunk. V'al tishli kol tameh. Don't eat anything which is tummy. Why? Ki hinachara bilalipen. And now he changes the lashon. Hinachara is you are pregnant and you'll give birth to a son. Now the malach changed what he said before. Before he said baharis. Now he says hinachara you're already pregnant bilalipen. Umar la yala roshen. And umar uh, is a razor can never go on his head, which you had two of the conditions of a nazir. Ki nazir lekim. The child will be born in Nazi. And he will begin to save place from the Christian. Not that he'll f- finish the job, 
אנחנו גם נשיא, בלתי אופיקי. אוקיי, מה זה רולס אבנאזי? סבינאזי תראה את זה
the Malach wasn't coming specifically just to advise that she's going to have a child. If that's okay, she could have told his, he could have told her husband too. What the Malach came to tell her was what she had to be careful on even beforehand. Even beforehand. And uh, that's now going to answer the second question. And that is, the Malach seems to be saying to himself. He says, first in the future tense, you're going to become pregnant. And then he said, Hilakhara, you are pregnant. So the understanding is like this. He, said, he says that in advance of becoming pregnant, you have to be careful what you eat and drink. Don't drink wine, don't eat anything which is tame. Now, even though Anazi isn't instructed specifically not to eat tame food, this was a general level of Kedush in Klai Israel. I can see why the Mishnah is. The person was makbid not to eat any food which was tame, to eat khud and batayra. And therefore she tells him that, number one, you can't drink wine, which any which Anazi can't do, and number two, don't eat any food which is tame, because that's a certain level of Kedusha that uh, anything is eaten batayra. That already starts now. Even before you pray, you already start now, don't eat anything which is going to interfere with the baby status of the Nazir. And then he says the next thing, because you pray when you pray, you, you, you know, you're going to be, you, when you're pregnant, when you have a son, now, you can't cut his hair. That's not practical before she's pregnant. That's only practical after he's born. And therefore he says to him, there's both stages. In advance, you should know that already from now, you have to start taking on the restrictions of not what you're eating and drinking even before you're pregnant, because that's what it, going to affect the baby. And then the second point is, you're going to get pregnant, you're going to have a son, and now the other restrictions are going to apply to him, you have to make sure not to cut his hand. Hinochara is not uh, Sorry? pregnant now? Yeah, the Mashmose of Hinochara is in the present. So she is pregnant now? No, so he's going through stages. The first message is before you're pregnant, Maharis. You're going to become pregnant, and now you already have to be careful of... Now the next thing is the Nabu. You're, 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 you're pregnant, you have a son, and you have to be careful of the second part, which is not the first Once he told her, then she became pregnant? She became pregnant after the uh, He told him the same, the word, you're going to be pregnant, and therefore already be careful now. Okay, so, so there's two know, stages to the book. The first one is in advance of becoming pregnant, then after that you're going to become pregnant, you'll, be, you'll see you're pregnant, you have a child, and now you have to be careful with the second part as well. Now, why did why the mother have to go back and tell her that you're in a car and you haven't had children? What was the point of that? She also told him that she's pregnant. Right. She, she didn't tell me everything right after. She said the second part of what he said. And we'll see how she changed it. But uh, what was the point of telling her in the first part that you haven't had children yet? So, uh, as opposed to that, we saw in other cases, such as Sari Manu, when she was all told that she's going to have a child, she was just told you're going to have a child. Well, like Elisha told the Shunamis, he didn't tell her that you had the past tense. But in the, you have been in Akara, you have been barren until now, and now you're going to, what's going to change. And the reason in both these cases is the same. And that is both by Sari Menu and by the Shunamis, no, no request, demands were made from her. She was just being told in the book. So the Malach told her wrong to tell Sari that, you, that you're going to have a child. Elisha told the Shunamis you're going to have a child. That's okay. And that's okay, as it doesn't focus on the science for the future, which you're going to tell them. Mashiach can have you here. The Malach isn't just going to tell you to have a child. The Malach wants something from him. He tells you you have to keep to the standard. And therefore he's telling you that it's not. He's saying you should not. Naturally you're not going to have children. You, you see in Akara you're not going to have children. But Hashem is prepared to give you a child when the understanding is you're going to listen to the conditions. And therefore it's not just brought as in the book of something good which is going to happen in the future. It's brought what you should understand. This is only happening as a nice because you're going to listen to what, to what the, the conditions are going to be. And that's why he brings both sides to it. First, you should know you're in a car. There's no natural way you're going to have a child. 
and now I'm telling you that you'll have a child. Bah, this is the expectation which which is being required on your part. But so that's the that's the message of the matter. Um, to Did this all happen after 40 years of being a So we saw last time that there was a discussion where those 40 years were. It definitely was either the beginning of them or the, or the middle of them. But it was definitely during the period of the Christian were in control. Okay, so that's the that's the starting point of the Nava which was given to to Aisha's Menach. Now, Vatava Isha, Vatama Isha. She the lady goes, she tells her husband. Lamush says to him, Isha Likim Baila. She thought um, he was a Navi. She didn't think he was a Malach. And so she calls him Isha Likim, which is the title for a Navi. So I met a Navi. But this Navi looked like a Malach. It's all inspiring. How does a Malach look? How can you say that he looked like a Malach? We don't know what Malach looked like. What they mean is, is that, uh, not that he had the appearance of a Malach, but it was the experience of feeling that awe oh, was something that one would feel to meet a Malach. And therefore she thought he was a Navi, but on such a level that being in contact with him made her feel very afraid. In that way, it was like meeting a malach. And which we find a number of times that it says about in the Nakh, of someone who was beheld a malach, so the, it says about the fear that they felt in the, con, in the company or in the contact, something so much greater. That's what she says she felt. Now, this already tells us a lot about her level. You see, by other people, it says they met a malach, it says, like, for example, Daniel. When he met a malach, it says that the, his face changed and he couldn't stand on his feet because of the pachat. Of coming to contact with the Malach. Here yeah, we have a Malach. She didn't realize the Malach. But nevertheless, she, she was she was, very she was very afraid, but there was, she was obviously on the level to behold the Malach, to be able to uh, listen to a Malach at the same Could do. Could do. We don't know who this Malach was. He doesn't tell us. Actually, we're going to see if she, they ask later on. But uh, either way around, she was able to behold the Malach. And then she says, Amy I didn't ask him who he was, and he didn't tell me who he was. Uh, why didn't she ask him? She said that she was mad him by saying, no, remote. She was very afraid of him. And if she didn't engage in a conversation, he came to give a message, except he heard the message, and she didn't, she didn't uh, have the confidence or the courage, whatever you want to call it, to ask him, who are you, where are you from, or anything like that. So she goes, yeah, I can't identify him, I just know what he told me. Why did he tell me? This is the second possible. He says, you're already pregnant, and you're going to give birth to a child. But the atzal, I'll teach the yain l'shaychor, but I'll take it called to her. And now, which means now, even before that, now she meant in, as before the, the, the word would come true. Don't drink wine or shaychor, and don't eat anything from it. In the zero l'kim yanar, when I bet not a Because the child will be a nazi from, when, from before birth until the day he dies. Now, she, that, that's not what the manach said. The Malach said, And that's where he starts. She said, Because the Malach knew the future. And we know that Shimshon didn't, but wasn't a Nazir until the end of his life. He ruined his Nazirus. So the Malach knew that he couldn't say Adyay Moise. He'll be a Nazir until, until he lost his Nazirus. Obviously, she didn't have that point. And therefore, when she tells her husband, she understood what the Malach meant, that he'll be a Nazir his whole life. And therefore she says, she adds the words, Adyei Moise, which the Malach never said. He also, she also didn't tell them the, her husband the other two important parts of the Nebuch. The first one is that this was conditional on doing this, that she would have the child. And the second one was that, 
Because that puts it into context. Why was the child being nazir? What's the point of making him a nazir? So the Malach explains these points to her. The Malach explains the first point is, you should know that I'm telling you this now because this is the condition you're going to have a child. And the reason this child is going to be a nazir is because he's going to be, he needs this in order to fight the fish to. That's going to be his tafkid. So then it makes sense why you want the child to be a nazir. It's not something you expect a normal baby to be. But Menach wasn't told those two points, which is why we're going to see medicine tomorrow, why Menach didn't understand what the, what, what the Malach wanted. He was missing two important pieces of information. And he said, well, what does Malach want? Why are we making a child into a nazir? What's, uh, we don't find the Indian of making a child into a nazir. Not only that, we don't find the precedent in halakha for that. Normal halakha is you can't make a child a nazir. A nazir is a Kabbalist uh, nadir, and it's honest to be 13 years old at least, maybe 12, for Kabbalah nadir. The mission in the nazir discusses Maybe a father as Chinuch can train his son to be a Nazir when he's old enough to be a Chinuch in that. But definitely not from before he's born. So why would this be happening? Why would the Malach want such a thing? That's what, that's what the Manoach wasn't told, which Manoach doesn't understand what the Malach wants, but we'll see by Hashem uh, what he's going to say there. So the 